back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today we've got a big guest. We've got James Ham of the King's Beat Podcast and writing as well, I guess, just of the King's Beat. I shouldn't add podcasts to the end, even though that's part of it. And ESPN 1320. How's it going, James? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a while, actually. It has been a once while. once or twice before. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's been a while, but... It doesn't feel like that because you and I talk all the time. Yeah. So so it's almost like, you know, we have our own podcasts here and there, uh, just sitting at like a coffee shop and, and chatting back and forth. Sometimes things will come out um, or like things will get reported. And, and this is obviously all new to me. And then I see people freaking out of like, oh, my God, this is whatever. Like, this is crazy new news, something that's never heard. And I'm like, wow, I think I've known this for a little while. And I just didn't realize that it was a quiet conversation and I forgot. It's it's new for me, for sure. It, it's cool, though. I remember it being new. I remember, like, that that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I've got information that no one else has. And, uh, and I think, like, I, I've said this quite a few times in the past. That's what, like, fuels my brain. It's that uh, the want for knowledge. Like, I, I just, I, I want all the knowledge. And my brain, that's, it feeds on all of that all the time. And, uh, and so that's where, you know, having conversations with people like yourself, like they're off the record conversations, you're, you're feeling a little bit more tapped in than you would have been if you were just, you know, doing your pod, but not going to games or, or just a casual fan. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's always, it's the eye opening part of it, right? How the how this, the uh, sausage is made, it, it really is different once you're behind the scenes and you start to see, you know, and, and you don't even get the full-fledged uh, like personal experience of going in the locker room and being in their world and really feeling like you have some sort of responsibility with what you say because you're going to have to answer for it because they're right there and, and you're going to be in their locker room and in their world and uh, and if you say something wild and inappropriate or wild that, you know, conjecture or speculation or isn't sourced out properly, then you're going to hear it. And that's something that uh, that's the next step. It's almost like um, your your first full year here is, is got a little bit of training wheels because of like the Zoom world we're living in right now as media members. Yeah. I almost, I mean, I don't have any other sort of perspective, obviously, but it almost feels lucky on my end. It's like an, it's an easier way to get through that initial learning curve and kind of like break the ice a little bit and grow a slight comfort, even though I'm sure being around those guys in the environment you're just saying will be a whole different level of breaking ice and a different experience. But I get my feet wet a little bit where I'm like, they, they kind of have heard me a little bit once we go back to locker room stuff, whenever that is. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, like it, in pregame, I've always had the approach that, you know, like when I had stuff for TV, when I needed something for TV, or if I'm writing a big story and I need a quote and a player's there, um, that's that's one thing. Um, but for the most part, I leave my mic and my, you know, my recording gear to the side. And in pregame, I, I just kind of be part of their world. I have general conversations, uh, more of a getting comfortable with everyone, them getting comfortable with you, 
having like real life conversations, um, checking in with guys, see how they're doing, um, just basic stuff. Because I, again, I think it's part of the process is to make people feel comfortable with you. So then that way you get better answers, you get more information, you're, you're just more in tune with what's happening in, in their world. Yeah. And the most cliche shit that you hear all the time is like, oh, these guys are human. They're just like everybody yeah. else. And, but the extent of like, I, I knew that was true beforehand, but the extent of really fully realizing how maybe it's not exactly the right word, but I'll, for a lack of better, like normal, these guys really are. Um, the whole, these guys are human, just like everybody else resonates. And I've like felt that on another level, even though I felt like I understood hearing that so many times all over the place before. Um, before we get into, I kind of want to go through evaluation of some of Sacramento's assets they have at this trade deadline with you. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, I was thinking about this yesterday. How many years have you been covering the team? This is my 12th. Have you And you've never seen a playoff series? Oh, no. Not even oh. close. Yeah, I no. just had this realization yesterday. Well, I mean, yes, I have not seen a Sacramento Kings playoff series, but because of my my former life, um, I spent six years covering the Warriors as soon as the Kings season ended. Yeah, so I would go down and I would be the backup uh, for NBC covering the Warriors uh, all the way through the playoffs. So I've actually been in a couple of championship locker rooms, uh, like game, game seven winning locker rooms. Um, I was there when the Cavs won their first one. Uh, so Harrison was on those teams. Um, I Maybe. don't think I covered Harrison's year. Okay. I think he was already gone. Uh, but like I was, well, I'd have to think about that because I was there when, um, when OKC had a three-one lead and and blew the three-one lead to. Uh, yeah, I think Harrison I think, was on that team. That was the Game Six Clay where he went crazy. Yeah, that's possible. And then they got um, KD the year after, I believe. Yeah. And that's when Harrison left at the same time. Actually, interesting story. I, I actually was there for, like, as they were melting down, right? So I think it was game six was in, uh, in Golden State. It, uh, I think it was in OKC. Where was game seven? Um, I believe in, in Golden State. Okay, so... Because I want to say Clay's game six was... Uh, I feel like I have to look this up now. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I know I was it. at uh, the the Thunder fell apart, right? And um, and I was also there, like for the the Houston yeah. Rockets. Twenty sixteen West Finals playoffs. Uh, Clay's game six was in OKC. Okay, and then game seven was. It must back have been game in, seven in Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so one of those series. Um, well, in that series, I know that you were watching the the Thunder unravel, um, and it got really strange. Uh, I I was the the last media member to ask a question at uh, post game. It must have been game five as they were starting to let things slide a little bit, um, and it could have been. I don't think it was game seven. I, I think it was game five. Anyway, I had asked uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook who were doing a co-media session if um, if they I was the last one in the media session to ask a question and they said hey uh, I, I I threw it out to them look you guys have 
in the last, I think it was three games, you guys have shot 59 shots combined or more at just the two of them. And I'm like, is there a possibility that you guys have got too locked in and you're not using your teammates properly or you're not, you know, getting others involved? And uh, Westbrook just kind of stared at me. And then he looked over at Durant and Durant answered and, you know, he gave a, a canned answer. Well, then they went to get up and walk out the door. And Westbrook, again, he was wearing uh, he's wearing a T-shirt that had like gigantic holes all over it. Like like that's I always joke around that his fashion sense is very similar to like the Dare Leak campaign from Zoolander. And, you know, he he's a fashionista, but it was like holy clothes. And I'm like. So he's walking out of the media room at, at Golden State and he's just staring me down. And I'm like, like, whatever, man. Like, what are you going to come over here and like go through like this six other people that are in front of me and try to get to me? Like, come on. I'm not going to be intimidated by Russell Westbrook. So anyway, we went outside afterwards and uh, the great Sam Amick was talking with Kevin Durant and they're having like an off the record conversation. And I went over. And waited until they were done. And I just said to Durant, Durant, I'm like, look, I wasn't trying to like start something there with you guys. I, I was just, uh, you know, it was an observation more than anything else. And he said, you know, he's like, it was a fair question. He's like, we do shoot too much. He's like, but I'll tell you this. From the moment I was drafted by this team, that's all they want. They want me to shoot every single time I touch the ball. So you're probably right. I probably should involve my teammates more, but that's just not who they want me to be here. And so I've got to do what they ask. And, uh, and that's when I started to, that's the moment I knew that he wanted out of there, just the way that he spoke to me. And it was that he didn't want all of that pressure all the time. And it was like, look, it's, it's all on us. Like either we fail or we succeed. And so, and, and by that, by we, he meant him and Russ, not anyone else. And it was like a really interesting, honest moment. And he's very introverted. He's very quiet. Um, he can be funny on Twitter and stuff like that, but like he is a, like a lot like Steph. He's a very reserved guy. And uh, it was just that moment where you're like, oh man, like I can read between the lines here and that right. you're not happy with this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry to take you sideways with my weird story about. Yeah, how dare uh, you give me these interesting <laughs> stories, James? <laughs> I usually save these for the uh, off the record happy hour, uh, the King's Beat happy hour. Yeah, which everybody should check out, by the way. I think I said it at the beginning, but great work at the King's Beat. I'm going to have to get me one of these hoodies. Is there anything on the back? No, no. I think so that's a good thing. Not, I don't have anything on the back. And actually, uh, so Brickhouse Industries, uh, Jim Espinosa over there is like he he designed the original logo, which is I can I'm reverse. So, yeah, Anybody the original to the pod. It's on YouTube also. Yeah. So he, he designed the original logo and then um, he actually he's made one for Sean without the with uh, with James Ham underneath. Um, and it's just cool stuff. And then he made us some some sweatshirts and some T-shirts. Um, and eventually I think we'll we'll start having uh, some sort of merch shop. It's just Man, like, <laughs> I think that's the, the crazy thing 
you know, people go, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And I'm like, okay, look, I've got two podcasts during the week and they're both video. Um, On top of that, I'm writing every day. On top of that, I'm covering a team full time. Uh, Oh, and by the way, I'm running a new business because the King's Beat is a new business and I'm married with children. Uh, You know, a baby corgi we just got a baby corgi so now we got three dogs yeah like life is what happens when you're making other plans and uh <laughs> you know for me it's there's so many things i would like to do like have a merch shop uh but it, it takes everything takes time um you know so I, i'm sure you're feeling that a little bit too having a job and doing this on uh as your your side gig to an extent yeah i was at a high school game yesterday so i missed the niner game my first high school game i missed the niner game and the milwaukee game the milwaukee oh the king's game yeah um yeah so to an extent yes yeah i don't know where this i don't know how to transition so i guess we're just gonna go into this can't think of a smooth one (laughs) kings have lost seven of their they've won seven of their last 23 games um obviously i mean it's very apparent that change needs to happen um, to start at the beginning before I, I kind of want to get into some of the each individual players and what you feel like their potential evaluation is, um, when it comes to this deadline, but just in general, do you feel like the moves that the Kings make, because again, I, change needs to happen. I think that's apparent and most people would agree with that. Does it have to impact winning this year? Is there any world where it's like, say, I I guess I shouldn't get into a specific example. Does it have to impact this year specifically? Well, I I think the question is, is like it requires like a a much more like complicated answer. Do you mean this year as in, does it have to impact this year? Like win loss total? Or, yeah, like I, I guess. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you. Or are you a, oh, wait, are, but are or are you saying can they take a step back, bring in draft picks, and hope that that will impact going forward? Not not draft picks. Um, I okay. well, I guess because I'm assuming that from the reporting that they're not willing to do like a reset sort of thing. It's which is what I would assume like a draft picked sounds like, right? If you were shipping out, um, I mean, Fox and Halliburton wouldn't be draft picks from what I can tell, from what we've seen reported um but like yeah i wouldn't imagine hb or buddy would just be like swapped for um some expiring guy in draft picks i I guess i was already assuming that was not in the cards is that fair yeah yeah so so if if we're going forward with that as the parameter that like like miles turner assuming he wouldn't be all that impactful this year something where it's like uh well maybe we're not going to win many more games this year but it is a brighter future in the immediate future like next year even yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, Miles Turner and even to a certain extent, Ben Simmons would be the same exact thing. Like Ben Simmons hasn't played in, in over seven months. And when he did play seven months ago, it was a disaster. And his teammates literally like threw him under the bus, like, you know, just brutal in brutal fashion. They, two of his teammates and his coach, um, like they just couldn't come up with answers that that were kind and they put the blame on him. Um, so I think there's going to be some like fragility to him. Uh, just like there is some, some question marks. I, I would say huge question marks when it comes to, uh, Miles Turner at this point, 
and we're talking about a, a near seven footer who just all of a sudden had a foot injury, a stress reaction. Um, and, and that's not good. Like those are not good signs. Like even though Marvin Bagley hurt his foot twice, uh, well, I think he hurt both feet, but he hurt one of them twice in the same season. And then came when he came back, he hurt the other one. Um, you know, even though he did that, he never had a stress reaction. He never had a stress, a stress fracture. He never had like a Liz Frank uh, injury, any of that stuff. So, can, can you think of other guys that dealt with what Turner has? Oh yeah, there. I mean, there's a, a million big guys that that like foot injuries can be the the end of your career. I mean, they certainly can be the the beginning of a slow demise. Um, I think the one guy that we saw who had massive foot injuries when he was young and looked like he would never amount to anything because of the foot injuries um, was Zadrunas Ilgoskis. He's the only one that I can remember just flat out turned it around and everything was fine after that. Before that, I think there's been a lot of advancements in not just shoe technology, but understanding of, of the foot, understanding of how to support a foot differently. Um, you know, clearly people aren't running out there in like Chuck Taylors anymore. Um, but they do run out there in these foam floppy shoes. There was always concern that cousins would have foot injuries, uh, foot issues because, um, on occasion he would get some, some shoes that were just like flimsy and, and trash and, and he's under contract and you got to wear them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I think when it comes, yeah. So, so foot injuries have always been like the big red flag for big men in the NBA. So to get back to your question, do I think that there's a way that the Kings take a step backwards to take a step forward? I, I think so. Um, because even, again, I, I think making a gigantic move for Ben Simmons, he's probably like two weeks away yeah. from stepping on a court. I, um, I guess that question more so is, would Monty be given the... Is there a chance... like? Could Monty be feeling the pressure where it's like, well, it, it couldn't be this year because who knows about next year? You know, like uh, maybe there's more pressure from the fan base and talks of like already growing skepticism of Monty. But I think that like that's probably where I'm getting this question from, because ideally, like I, I think that if you just are looking at the projection of a franchise, yeah, like it makes sense for the Kings to not feel pressure on this year. But I think when it comes to where the pressure would be felt is the general manager. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I'll say this. If the Kings made a monster move and then lost a bunch of games down the stretch, let's say like when the Pelicans traded for DeMarcus Cousins and then um, when they traded for him, they thought that they were going straight to the playoffs and instead they dropped back and um, ended up being the number 10 pick in the draft, right? And we know that because that number 10 pick was the Sacramento Kings. They traded it for 15 and 20, which became... Uh, Justin Jackson and Harry Giles, right? So uh, there's always a potential that you take a step back when you disrupt the the chemistry and the the delicate balance that is the NBA uh, an NBA team. But let's be honest here: this Kings team, uh, the delicate balance is, isn't there. Like this is like a fragile balance, and this team has shown that they. It doesn't matter what happens. Uh, they can't embrace success and, and failure is just around the corner. So when I look at what they could do, I don't think it really matters how they finish out this season. I mean, at this point, 
what are they, 18 and 30? 18 and 30. Um, They're closer to the 14th seed than they are to the 9th. Yeah, so they, as of right now, they are pretty much, you know, in the bottom. I mean, they, they have a chance still to uh, slide into that 10th spot, or, uh, but even getting up to 9 or 8 is now looking more and more difficult. There's a lot of season left. I, I, it's crazy that we're talking this way when there's, what, like 40, 48 games, right? So what do we got? Uh, 30, 34 games left, something like that. So um, I think that to me, if you're taking a step back, that's fine as long as it's a step back to take a major step forward and and you're reworking the core and the piece that you bring in is a core piece that just might not be ready right now. Um, I don't know that there are a lot of examples of that, um, but like if Chicago Bulls came calling and, and they're offering up Patrick Williams um, and and or Patrick Williams and uh, Derek Jones Jr. or something, injured players that uh, that can't help you so much this year. But, you know, specifically with Patrick Williams, I think uh, Derek Jones is a is a free agent. Uh, but let's say you do that for a Harrison Barnes. Um, that's a step backwards this year to take a step forwards in the, and, and cementing with a very young player who fits your player, your, your player arc that you have right now with, with Halliburton and, and Fox. So yes, I, I think there are those potential deals out there that make sense, but you, you have to be very cautious about the injury situation, about the personality fit, about, right. you know, even with Ben Simmons about taking on an additional like gigantic contract this year. And then, three more years not knowing what exactly you're getting outside of a player that looked really good the last few years and then melted down in the playoffs and has decided not to play for a long time um yeah so i think everything comes with a risk but taking a a small step backwards and and again i don't even know if you're taking a small step backwards because just changing the dynamic behind the scenes this team could still rebound and and all of a sudden start winning games that you didn't expect yeah. just because there was a shakeup and because sort of the the weirdness behind the scenes that, you know, I don't think there's any weirdness specifically between like this player or that player, just the weirdness overall. I mean, this season is completely spun out. This this team should not be this bad. And like I've said that multiple times, it, I don't think that they should be like a, a five seed but they just shouldn't be this bad, and I think that that's clear. This this team should not lose to to the Houston Rockets and the Detroit Pistons in back to back games. That's just no. unacceptable. I don't know if any team should really. <laughs> maybe the Thunder. That's about it. No, no. Pistons, maybe Magic. maybe yeah. the Pistons could lose to the Rockets twice, or the Rockets there you go. could lose to the <laughs> Pistons twice. But yeah. yeah, I don't think that there there's no reason for you to lose to a ten win team, um, and a, at home. I mean, I mean, Corey Joseph is just kind of unstoppable. Yeah. To be fair, you know, I don't, I don't know what anyone can be expected to do against him. So. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> do you think it, because I mean the position that they're at right now, um, like I said, only won seven of their last twenty-three games. Um, do you think that there's a good chance they are? wanting to hold i mean i'm sure they'd want to but what's what's your gauge on because i think that ideally if you're not moving fox or halliburton um and you're talking about these other guys and trying to make a significant improvement around them um that you're going to need to include include draft picks if you're looking to acquire more talent um 
teams are going to prefer this year's pick, I would assume. Like, what is your gauge on if if draft picks are included in deals? Does it seem like this year's is trying to be completely avoided from being traded or and try to move towards the future? Is that a no-go for other teams? I feel like most other deals with significant acquisitions like a Porzingis or you look at a Vucevic was traded last year from Chicago. Chicago's pick ended up being eighth. It's usually that year. Um, what's kind of your gauge on how it would be for this year's draft pick in trade conversations? Yeah, I mean, I think the way you get around that is you protect it, right? So so if the Kings were to move this year's draft pick, even if it were for, let's say, a, a Ben Simmons swap, I think it does. you're still going to have protections. You're going to get a top four protection, which, to be honest, a top four protection is really like a top seven protection because this team, uh, because you can only move up into the top four, right? And if you're... Uh, even if it went that the one, two, three, four, that the four worst teams move up, uh, at, like stay in the top four, the Kings wouldn't be the fifth worst team. So there's no way for them to get that pick. So for every one of those teams that are in the like the bottom four right now of the league, um, for each one of those that fall out of the top four, um, those teams become the fifth pick, the sixth right. pick, the seventh pick, right? So uh, I think that, you know, there's a way to protect this year's pick, at least to make it make sure that you're top four protected. And mm-hmm. I think that's uh, in almost any deal. I think that the Kings would make it uh, protected. The only way you wouldn't do that is if it were just a deal that was such a no brainer that it's like, okay, the biggest asset we are giving up in this deal is our pick. And so I, I think it's very likely we see a like a top four protected 2022 and a top, uh, you know, maybe top 10 protected 2023. Um, but I, I also think that most deals that we're going to talk about with the Kings, if they're swinging for the fences and they're going nuts, is uh, they're going to be like multiple first round picks. Yeah. And so I, I think you have two types of deals that we're looking at right now. Um, one is just taking one of, let's say your, your three core pieces. Uh, well, guys who have been part of the core for the last couple of years, right? So Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald and, uh, Rashawn, Rashawn. Holmes, right? So let's say that we take each of those players individually. Can you take one of those players, attach a really solid first round pick and get a player, that's younger under contract and better than that player. And I think that that's kind of where we have to look at this with, with when it comes to the Kings. If you don't do this gigantic home home run swing, can you upgrade a position by uh, adding a pick? Or can you upgrade a position like what we talked about with Patrick, uh, Patrick Williams, right? Uh, where you take a player who's a good, solid NBA player and fits a team's arc right now, like the Chicago Bulls, take Harrison Barnes, move him. Um, and even in that deal, I think you might get something else back uh, from the Bulls where, you know, you're just mixing the pieces up. You're not doing a complete roster reset. And, and I think the Kings have those options. They have the swing for the fence options. Um, they probably have like the nuclear option, which, some like probably one or two or maybe even three or four teams have put, uh, you know, 
considerable packages together that would uh, that would go for De'Aaron and Fox. And then you get to a point and it's like, okay, we haven't been able to do anything else. Maybe we do need to blow this thing up. So I think that there are a lot of different looks and feels that um, when you're Monty McNair, like your whiteboard um, probably is 30 feet long and probably has all kinds of different types of scenarios. If we trade player A and we're getting back a player at a different position, can we trade player B to get the position that we just lost? Those types of deals. So, you know, I'm trading here some parts, but I'm not bringing back a forward. I'm bringing back a center. But now can I trade uh, Rashawn Holmes and bring back a small forward or, or a power forward? Um, the same thing would go with Buddy Hield. So, like, I, I think that, that uh, the Kings... Roster construction has always been funky, um, totally guard heavy, uh, forward light. Um, but you do have players like Harrison Barnes and play the three and the four. Um, and you got Buddy Hield who can probably play the two and the three. And so you can move pieces around. Um, I just think the, the one guy that if you are going to trade and you need to get value for is Harrison. Um, and, and I would say that about Rashawn as well, because he's under contract for another three years and it's a very reasonable contract, but, um, well, I think well, let's, t- let's talk about Harrison real quick then. If yeah. that's all right. Um, yeah, that's fine. you reported on, or you put out a tweet on uh, whatever reported either way. This is the first time I had seen a actual deal laid out for what was offered for Harrison last year. Um, and I, I guess it was the Celtics package rather than rewording your tweet off the top of my head. What what is uh, your understanding of what the Celtics offered last year for Harrison, and do you possibly know like other ballpark idea of what deals were last year and how that valuation could have changed going into this year? Yeah, I mean, I think with when it came to Boston last year, Boston was in like a full court press and just kept putting out what they thought that they could get Harrison Barnes for. Um, the Kings weren't really listening, and they weren't specifically listening to the Celtics, um, but we kept hearing. Um, that it was centered around their pick, which ended up being, I don't know, 14 or 16. 16. Um, 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like Shangun is who goes there. We don't know if a, the Kings would have taken that pick or B if Boston would have been at number 16, if you gave him Harrison Barnes and they finished the season stronger than they did. Uh, that could have been the 20th pick that could have been the 22nd pick. So we can't just say, ah, you could have had Shangun. Um, but it was, it was basically the packages they were putting together were for, um, that pick and, uh, like two of their young players. So they, they had Aaron Neesmith, uh, Romeo Lankford, Peyton Pritchard, stuff like that. Like, but all of those are mid twenties picks and except for, uh, um, Neesmith who, who at that point, had not played well at all, and to this point, hasn't played well either. So um, I I don't know what's happened there because I really liked him coming out of the draft, and he's just a flat-out knockdown shooter. And for some reason, his game has not translated to the NBA at all. Um, But I kind of feel like that's a lot of the Boston Celtics picks. They don't translate. And that's the really hard part about drafting between, like, picks 22 to 30. Like, it's just a crapshoot for every Pascal Siakam. There's like 25 dudes who are out of the league within three or four years. Like, they're 
there's so many guys that don't make it in that in that range. Um, you know, even like go back, Scalabissier uh, didn't make it. Um, Harry Giles. Harry Giles has not made it. Uh, Malachi Richardson did not make it. But those are just Kings players. And we can say, oh, that's just the Kings. But no, I mean, there are so many players. Um, I've done mock drafts for years. And um, I like last year, my mocks did like something like almost 90 million page views um, at, at NBC. And uh, so like I, I've done like an incredible amount of draft coverage and you, you look at players and you try to see who they resemble, who you think that they, um, you know, could be as players and they just don't work out. So anyway, the, the Barnes deal was something like that. Uh, it was a first round pick and then a couple of other guys that were young and still considered first round picks, which I'll, I'll add one last point to this um, because I have droned on here, but the, uh, the pick that you're, you're looking at there, um, picks have so much more value than players. So once a player is drafted, the number nine pick in the 2021 NBA draft had a ton of value. Once Davion Mitchell's name is attached to it, the value instantly goes down. And that's not because Mitchell's not a good player. It's because it's just like buying a car. The second you drive it off the lot, you lose 30% in value, right? That's why I've, I've said it multiple times. The Kings first round pick or first round picks, they're more valuable than De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. And we could sit here and argue about that. I'm just telling you, like on the open market, the Kings have missed playoffs for 15 consecutive seasons. They are always in the lottery. Those picks are worth a ton on the open market. You could go and get all kinds of things. And, um, and so I, I kind of feel like, like if you are going to make a move, your most valuable assets are those things. And, I still think that Harrison Barnes has plenty of value. I do. I there he's under contract next year, declining scale contract, so he's eighteen million, and then he has full Larry Bird rights. So if you do trade for him, you have an upper uh, upper hand on on extending him or bringing him back. He's even eligible he's for a, an he's extension. He's a lot younger than people think too. I yeah, he's twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, and he's eligible for a for an extension this summer, and so you easily could like bring him in and then say, look, we like that 18 million number. Can we do that for another two or three years? Can we do a uh, 18, 17, 16 and rack, uh, you know, and have you own a contract for four years? I think Harrison Barnes listens regardless of where he goes. He just had a new baby. He's going to want to be somewhere that he's planted and secure. Um, and so look, I, I think that there are a lot of ways the Kings can handle this situation, but guys like Harrison still have tons of value. Yeah, like, I mean, Robert Covington was one of the main pieces sent out to get Clint Capella. I, it was a three-team deal, actually. Um, so I guess Atlanta, like, Houston is... Hold on, I have this backwards here. Covington was sent out by Minnesota. You know what? I'm not going to try it. I have my notes all mixed up here. Covington was multiple times had been traded for two first-round picks. Um, and I, I think that... Covington might be previously in his career a little bit more uh, sought after or thought highly of on the defensive end, um, but Barnes does more on offense in my mind. Like I think those guys are somewhat comparable, um, at least previously Covington. I know he's kind of come back on recently, but he's had a little bit of a slower year. 
Um, or you look at like Aaron Gordon, what he was sent for last year. I, I don't, in my mind, I don't think those players are all too far off. I know we heard Denver, I believe we heard Denver linked to Barnes last deadline. Um, and Aaron Gordon goes for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, who was the 24th pick in the year prior. Um, and then the, a 2025 first, but obviously it's a little different because Orlando had just sent out Vucevic prior to that and was willing to do this reset. Um, so, you know, I, I'd be surprised, like we said at the top, if Sacramento was willing to take that sort of direction, but that's still two first round picks for an Aaron Gordon, who I don't think is all that far off from a Harrison Barnes. Yeah, I mean, so look, if we're looking at those two players as comps, I think Harrison Barnes is like considered a like a pretty large upgrade over Robert Covington, just because he is a more versatile player on both ends of the floor. Uh, Covington has always been a better defender, but but Barnes is not a bad defender, and and his offense is like far outweighs, um, you know what Covington brings to the table. Now, Aaron Gordon is a, is a weird case because to be honest with you, Aaron Gordon has never been as good as he's been perceived. And you've always waited for him to have this like epiphany moment where he became what he should have been. And it's never happened. So, um, if you can't find success with a, a guy like Jokic setting you up, um, and, and like by find success, I mean, become a top notch, like number two, number three option especially while they have Murray out and they have other players out. Um, oh, like Michael Porter Jr. Like the fact that he hasn't just elevated and all of a sudden become like a 20 plus score, a 20 plus point per game score and just like a huge, huge productive piece. That's kind of who Aaron Gordon is. Um, so again, you could I, almost say the same about Barnes a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, I, but, Barnes, but he's defined. There isn't yeah. like expecting more, right? Yeah, no, no. You can write in pen what you expect from Harrison Barnes. And, I mean, the fact that he's shooting 42% from three um, on the catch and shoot, he's over 50%, like, over the last month and a half. Um, like, he is a, a an easy guy to fit into almost any system. And the fact that he can play the three or the four is very valuable. Um, and the fact that he can play 35 minutes a night for any team in the league, that's extremely valuable. So uh, whether they can get two first-round picks is is a question. But I'd also say this. Uh, the Kings probably don't want two first-round picks. They probably want a young player and a first-round pick, or they want a player similar to Harrison. Um, But again, can you take Harrison, attach a first-round pick, and get a much better version of Harrison, a younger version of Harrison, for a team that maybe is is closer to something? It's closer to, uh, like, a playoff. Like, if they're trying to go from a six seed to a top three seed. And they think that Harrison can be that guy that really does solidify a position and gets them over the hump, which is what I kind of feel like Boston had always saw with Harrison. Um, Yeah. I think that there are options out there. Yeah. um, Yeah. Definitely interesting. I, I, yeah. Throw out the two first rounders as more of like a, this is um, potential value rather than, Defining value and what two first-round picks of value would mean for acquiring a better player, since I'm assuming that's what Sacramento would try to do in any sort of deal mm-hmm. um, with Harrison. And, and do you think that there's any sort of, um, you know, not being moved last deadline because of wanting Harrison to be a more long-term piece or feeling like, uh, I, I mean, I think that because he McNair comes from Maury it's 
easy to kind of like, oh, is he also doing an overvaluing his own assets kind of situation? Um, or do you think not moving on from Harrison last year was just more of a product of um, some of the offers being a step backwards and that's not they were they were trying to do? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I know they're thinking on Harrison last year. It was that if they traded Harrison and didn't bring back a player similar in value to Harrison, that it wouldn't just be being bad like the remainder of last year. It was, you will be bad moving forward. You, you will take a substantial step backwards next season and possibly the season after that. Um, Harrison, like we heard Alvin Gentry say it last night, he's our anchor. And I still believe they feel that way. Plus the fact that he is an absolute dream in the community, an absolute dream when it comes to the initiatives and the social justice things that you like to press forward, uh, then, um, you know, those have value to the Kings as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think last year it was very specific that they looked at, they thought that they would be better this year. They thought that they would add pieces around their core. And I think, the biggest issue with this season, Brendan, is that the core didn't live up to what they thought it would be. And part of that is because, you know, uh, COVID has, has like hit been in and out with these guys. Um, part of it is that Rashawn Holmes had the eye injury and has missed what 17 games. And even when he does come back, he's just not ready. Um, you know, even though he's missed, I think it's 17. He he's played, played the first 18, then missed nine of the 27. And now he's yeah. played three straight. Yeah. So if, but if you look at the three that he's played now and the five that he played before, those are ramp up games. So we're basically looking at another eight games where he wasn't himself at all. And that's 25 out of 48. You're looking at 23 yeah. games where he might have been who he should be. Uh, that's, that's just not going to be conducive to winning. Yeah. I, so. I wanted to ask you real quick. He said earlier in the year after he came back from his eye laceration, um, and then he caught COVID right after a couple games after. Um, or he went into health and safety protocol. Yeah. And um, and I believe he said in the presser that that was the first injury he's had in his career where he wasn't able to stay in good shape uh, because of it. Do you understand why? It's an eye injury. It's an eye injury. So I kind of was confused on that. It's like you can't yeah, see no, well no. to move around? Like No, no. I think it was an impact. He wasn't allowed to, to move around and, and jar the eye. I mean, we're talking about not an eyelid. We're talking about an eyeball. Yeah. And and to me, when it comes to an eyeball, and there had to be a procedure, like we don't know how bad this thing was, and like I, I don't know if he like risked losing his eye or risked being blinded in that eye. But when a doctor tells you that you're not supposed to run and jump and do anything with uh, when it comes to an eyeball injury, I think you're going to listen. Because right. the last thing you want to do is lose your vision in an eye or something uh, because you were trying to fight to get back quicker. Um, yeah, so that was like, again, there's so many injuries that happen in the NBA that we can just track, right? Alex Caruso breaks his wrist. He's going in for surgery. We know he's out six to eight weeks. That could be pushed out to eight to 12 weeks depending on the surgery. But we know that it's probably going to be more like six to eight weeks. A knee injury, uh, a foot injury, like what we talked about with uh, Miles Turner. All of these things have very specific timelines because it's it's something that's happened before multiple times, and we can put a number on it. His eyeball injury is not something we can put a number on because we've never seen this before. So when someone says that they couldn't do anything, I I just take it on face value. Like he's a 
Like I remember when he got locked in his room in the bubble for 10 days, like he basically wore out the carpet, like running around the room. Uh, They brought in bikes. They brought in other things to try to keep him going. But um, again, certainly not questioning homes of all people. I just was curious on the understanding there. No, totally. So I'm going to say that that's an injury that we just don't know enough about. And and they haven't we haven't really sat down with Rashawn and had the conversation with him. But I think the first time he hurt his eye earlier in the season and then we saw him at a practice and it was like, oh, Jesus, what in the world? Like he was it was a week in and he was so there was uh, blood and all kinds of things all on one side. And it was like, okay, we didn't know that you hurt your eye like that. Um, You know, I think all you need to remember is that he walked out of the building that night with a gigantic pad covering his eye taped to his head um and then anytime you're talking about procedure on your eye that's not good yeah yeah i think it's easy to forget how important Holmes was last year um and -hmm. i've been surprised at the amount of things i've seen of uh disappointment in Holmes because of these conditions that we kind of talked about i mean the injuries and then having to deal with um health and safety protocol that he went into right after again he played first 18 um then they went then he played nine of the next 27, and it wasn't nine in a row. I want to say it was like three-game stretch, four-game stretch, three-game stretch sort of thing. And now he's played three straight. Uh, we still we still heard last night that, I mean, he played a really good game last night in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. He kind of had a little bit of his uh, his uh, um, chemistry back with Tyrese, and you saw that duo shining again for the first time and maybe since early, uh, don't can't think of specifically when earlier in the year, but like he had a Charlotte game where he went 20 and 20, probably the best game of his career earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's easy to forget how good Holmes is. And at least for myself, how shocked I was that he signed to a four year, $47 million deal. Um, the most Sacramento was able to offer him. Like, do you think that there's a chance that Holmes is even more valued around the league than Rashawn? I mean, Rashawn, Rashawn's a really, I mean, sorry that Holmes is more valued than Harrison around the league. Oh, no, I, I think that like if you were to put the two side by side, they're equal value at this point and maybe even a little uh, leaning more towards Holmes. Um, you're looking at a dude who's going to have fresh legs, fresh legs all the way down the stretch. He has not played all that much and his injuries were, were eye injuries. And so he hasn't had the wear and tear on his body. Um, this is also given in his shoulder who, you know, he had problems with his shoulder uh, two years ago, but it's a torn labor and he never had surgery. So it just gives rest and, and relaxation for that shoulder, uh, time to heal, time to be fully ready, uh, moving forward. I think he's got a tremendous amount of value. He's one of the few starting level bigs in the league that can give you minutes at the center position, uh, and who can defend the perimeter against all kinds of players. Um, so when we see, again, the Utah jazz, get trashed in the playoffs because Rudy Gobert can't guard the perimeter. Uh, and, and this is not something that's happened once. It's something that happened like three or four times at this point. Um, and then they go out and they bring in an Hassan Whiteside just to continue the same basic design of what they play. You know, So now they have another big that you can funnel. So if Rudy Bear, Gobert gets hurt, you've got his backup, that's for sure. The problem is you don't have any versatility at that position. And that's what Holmes brings. He brings this incredible versatility uh, he is a passion player. He's a high motor player. Um, he's a guy that uh, that you know shoots like between sixty and seventy percent from the field. 
Um, he's improved as a rebounder. He's improved as a shot blocker. He averaged, what, 1.6, 1.8 blocks per game last season. He gets you steals. He runs the floor. Uh, there's so much to him that, that teams should be looking at him and, like, drooling if he is actually available. Um, I'm going to say this, too. Like, I don't usually do this. I am horribly disappointed in the people who have gone at the Holmes family. And I don't understand what that's about because the Kings have so many other centers. It's not like Rashawn Holmes in past years was probably the uh, least replaceable player on the team. Like he's the guy that you had to have or you're in trouble, right? The second he goes down, you're going to go in the tank because he did so much for this team. This year is slightly different. You you have, you know, again, you, you don't have to love them, but you can see that where Alex Len can have moments against bigger guys. You can see where Tristan Thompson had moments where he was an energy guy. You can see where Damian Jones is is almost developing as like mini Rashawn Holmes, right? Yeah. And, um, and Rashawn Holmes has had his own issues. Uh, yeah. That we kind of laid through. Like, I mean, just so many complications with injuries and, and different yeah. things that have complicated his own season on top of that. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm saying is that you didn't miss Holmes nearly as much as you would have missed Holmes in past years right. because you had all of these other pieces. And for me, when I, I look at the way that fans have like gone at his mom, gone at him, it's just like disgusting, to be honest with you. I'm so disappointed in fans that, that do that stuff. But to that specific family who's been nothing but positive and like a, a beam of light in a other word, otherwise dark place, he might be since the Vlade Divac signing, uh, free agent signing, in like 1998, he might be the best free agent signing that the Kings, not of their own free agent, but best free agent signing that they've had in like three decades. Like he's been nothing but incredible. And when he is healthy, he's been great. And he got an eye injury. And I just hate seeing that. I hate seeing Dr. Holmes have to like uh, have to deal with any of that stuff because they're good people. And he wants to be on the court so bad, it's crazy. That's just who he is. And again, I don't get it. Maybe it's the the DFS, you know, pay, people who do, done daily fantasy sports. Maybe it's people who play oh. fantasy and drafted him in their leagues. Um, maybe it's just people that have lost their way and we're in this weird society where, you know, every single game there's a fight now, which I never saw before. But people just aren't used to being out in public. And, and so we're seeing these weird anomalies happen all over the place but I'm, I'm super disappointed with the way that Holmes and his injuries have been dealt with uh by by some of the fans yeah it's been yeah ridiculous to see for sure and I, I think yeah it's just this whole he played so great last year I don't know what's happened this year and it's like well everything we talked about uh, the eye injury dealing with health and safety and all these other complications I mean last season I, I think that I've been surprised it hasn't been talked about much like part of some of the big focal points were that, wow, they have this one lineup that works so well. This um, Fox, Halliburton, Buddy, Barnes, and Holmes lineup played 400 minutes, um, 7.6 net rating. The one other lineup with over 400 minutes, Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Bagley, Holmes, 7.2 net rating. Those lineups both played over 400 minutes. They don't have another lineup that played over 100. Um, like They were going to that lineup so much last year. Um, Holmes was a staple in both of them, and, and so were Fox and Tyrese, um, and Harrison as well. But you know that they had no other lineups, right? 
Right. Like, uh, but they also the, even had the trade the opportunities. Deadline. They didn't, so, but they also yeah. didn't have any other opportunities to even put those same five guys out there this year. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I just like I, I get what you're saying. My my point would be that they walked in the last season with like six players, and so this team is deeper. It, it just hasn't played well. I mean, I, I think last year I don't even know. I haven't compared records. Where were they at after? 40 what is it 46 games 48 games last year yeah. I, they were probably better and they had like just a ridiculously Corey, bad Corey joseph well i mean i don't think Corey joseph isn't a bad player i mean we're talking six players and Corey joseph and tyrese halliburton were two of your six and right. you didn't even know halliburton was going to be this good so i mean you got you had guys like hassan whiteside guys like uh, Jabari Parker, guys like even Nemanja Glenn Bielitsa. Robinson last year. Glenn <laughs> Robinson. So, but then we laugh. I just named four. So, Glenn Robinson, Hassan Whiteside, Jabari Parker, Nemanja Bielitsa. Those guys weren't part of any real plan. Yeah. But then on top of that, you had Justin James, you had Daquan Jeffries, yeah. you you had um, Robert Wood- Woodward and uh, Woodward Woodard. Jesus. Justin James and, played 300 minutes. And Jemias Ramsey. So you had four other players who were second-round picks or undrafted in the in the previous two drafts that were on the 15-man roster. So we're looking at eight dudes right there without even looking at anyone else that, that just really weren't going to help you. And that's not mm-hmm. because Nemanja couldn't have helped you. It, he just wasn't part of the plan and wasn't going to help you and then was bitter and angry that he wasn't playing, and then that led to more stuff. So, yeah, last year's roster was so bad. And then to see this year's roster um, sort of be worse, even though it's much deeper, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So when we talk about Harrison and Rashawn, um, two guys that I think bring a lot of value on the floor right now still, and they probably will do that for, I would assume, do that for more years down the line in the NBA. I think they're guys that make sense for Sacramento to want to keep around. Um, is it safe to say that it's less of a change in how they are being viewed and more of a, damn, the season went bad. We have to change something. Those are the two guys with value. And I'm not saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, not a change in how those guys are viewed moving forward. More of something has to happen. Well, no, I, I think that uh, like straight up, like Harrison Barnes is still viewed positively within the franchise. Uh, Buddy Heald has been a piece waiting to be traded for over a year. And they thought they had him traded right before the season started. And he still brings value. He still brings what he does. Um, and, and I think there are other teams around the league that look at him and go, my goodness, like how we could use him, where the Kings can't use him, or the things that we could do if he was here. Um, I, I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of teams in the league that could still use an elite three-point shooter. I mean, he is still number two in the NBA in three-point uh, makes. And he's shooting, what, 38%, 37, 30, well, it's got to be right around 38, 37.8, something like that from three. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know he was at 38.5, and then he's had two wonky games, like a 2 of 11 and 0 of 2. 38.1, um, yeah. 38.1. So, um, yeah, he, he can still fill it up. And, and, again, Harrison Barnes, 42%. These guys have value. And, and again, I think like there's some sort of misconception. Like, the Kings... Well, I'll start with this. Like I, I said very specifically, like everyone is available, right? You heard Sam Amick say it. everyone outside of 
well, everyone is available outside of Tyrese and and De'Aaron realistically, but everyone is available. But when you attach a name instead of an everyone, then it becomes like this weird thing where people like, oh, wait, he's available? It's like, yes, Harrison Barnes is available. Yes, Rashawn Holmes is available. Yes, Buddy Heald is available. So when I say everyone, it means everyone. Like, I think that Davion Mitchell in the right package could go somewhere. I think that, you know, all of them, like anyone on that roster outside of, will be looked at as someone that could move. But as soon as you actually break it down and attach a name, then it goes bonkers. Like the, the, uh, was it the, NBA the, Central or whatever? Like five thousand retweets because I said uh, that Rashawn Holmes was was available. Well, if he yeah. didn't get that he was available before, when everyone else said that everyone on the Kings is available, then you're you're just not cluing in on what's happening. And I think the overreactions come from not realizing the difference between available and available does not mean we want to trade this guy. No, you're very correct. That it, it means that we will swap them out for equal or or greater value players if we have to throw in other pieces. Right. That's what that means. So, it, you know, it's kind of like the Ben Simmons deal. Um, even if you were to take back Tobias Harris, uh, I'll just make this argument one more time really quickly. If you did a deal where it was Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and you had to take back like Isaiah Joe and, and, and maybe uh, Jaden Springer, something like that, right? Um, in a, in a deal where they got Tristan Thompson, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, um, Marvin Bagley, and a pair of first-round picks. Um, and then if you were able to swap, I've made this mention before, but if you're able to swap Harrison Barnes up to Portland for Robert Covington and add Covington in the deal instead, then now you're looking at uh, offering Philly, Covington, uh, Barnes, healed yeah you um, missed i think uh bagley to portland oh sorry you said, you said barnes but oh yeah, 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 ba- yeah. Bagley, bagley to portland excuse me uh yeah bagley to portland now if you're gonna take basically tobias harris is the only player in their starting lineup who's actually playing in the rotation because ben simmons just he will not play for them at all so we can't even really consider him so if you swap out tobias harris for barnes uh Bagley or Covington and healed that team is better. It's better than it is right now. The Philadelphia 76ers. And that, that might sound crazy to people, but it is. And if you take Tobias Harrison is God awful contract, like 78 million over two years. Basically, if you swap him out for Harrison Barnes, you're taking on like, like $59 million in additional salary for one extra year. And he's not that much better than Harrison Barnes. He's a, he's slightly better than Harrison Barnes, but he would still be the best player that De'Aaron Fox ever played with. Ben Simmons would be the best player that De'Aaron Fox ever played with. And that's why I, I'm such a proponent of of making that big deal where you go out and you be aggressive and you pick up, like even if it's some bloated, crazy contracts. I mean, that deal brings in, like it's $190 million just between... Um, Springer, I'm mean, between Simmons and and Tobias Harris over the course of three years. It's it's crazy. It's an additional 131 million dollars over the course of three years that you're bringing in when you take out the other contracts. So, but I would still do it. 
Yeah, I would too. Um, yeah, so Rashawn and Harrison are the guys that stand out to me as uh, having what I would assume is a lot of value throughout the league. Um, Buddy and Bagley, I think, to me, are more questionable and maybe situational. Um, where, What's your feel on, on the value of those guys? You went over Buddy a little bit and, and Bagley as well. And also, I mean, do you see a world where they – is is it either – is it a situation with either one of those guys where even if a, they aren't a part of a bigger deal, it's like we need to move on from these guys because at this point, everything that they're going to contribute to Sacramento, like kind of the time is up. See, it's, that's a good question. Um, but here's the problem that you have. It's that they're, they have value as expiring contracts, even still. So um, I, I would say that Bagley has less value as an expiring contract because he's an unrestricted, well, you have an opportunity to make him a restricted free agent or an unrestricted free agent this summer. Um, right now they're teetering on, you know, if he gets to 42 games, he becomes his qualifying offer jumps to like uh, 14.6 million. If he doesn't get that many, if he doesn't get 42 games, 42 starts on the season, then his qualifying offer is like 7 million or a little bit less. Yeah. Um, he's, he's at 14 and that's all in their control. There's no, it's, way it's, it's totally, side, right? totally so. under their control. I mean, and you can't even, guarantee me that that he could get another what is that 27 28 starts that he's going to be healthy enough for 28 starts you, you just can't guarantee that um so anyway those those things are under team control well he's that that stuff with him is under team control i think if you're moving up from bagley it's part of a bigger package i don't think that anyone is just swapping bagley out unless say they have a a young player like Bagley that hasn't worked out like they had hoped um, who might have one more year and, you know, around the same draft range or around the same salary range where you're taking a player like Bagley, you're moving him to a team that isn't in love with the, the young player that they have on their roster and is willing Mo to Bamba take him. as an example. Yeah. I don't know what Bomba's salary is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I think, yeah, a guy like that, if if that worked, then they get the opportunity to either put out the qualifying offer like six point something million or just walk away from Bagley and then you're going to get stuck with an additional year. Now, the, I think the Kings would consider that, but it, it's got to be the right player, the right situation. They're not just going to dump Marvin because, you know, they have to dump Marvin because they don't. He's playing better. Uh, you can't actually use him on the court right now. Um, but when it comes to, to Buddy... Well, I guess real quick with, with Marvin, yeah. um, I, I think that uh, the idea of like, oh, he'd have to be moved at this deadline would revolve around not coming back next year. Like, you think that there's a real chance that they actually would offer the restricted with all the complications that have surrounded Marv? Probably not. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a good chance that you would not. Like, um, like you never know, but... He asked for a trade this offseason. They tried to trade him. They did not find any takers um, outside of maybe like a second round pick. And uh, and they still think that he has talent. They still like him a- as a person. And even as a player, I think they like him more now than they did before. Um, he's starting to have some games that that really do make sense. But if, if anything, Brennan, if you look at what happened this last weekend, it's it was the last reminder that I think this team needed. Uh, Marvin Bagley put up 26 and 13 um, against the Houston Rockets on Friday night. 
He's playing through a hand injury. It's it's crazy. You know, he he's actually gritted it out. He's gutted it out. It's all taped up. And then he shows up Sunday morning. You lose Ty uh, to health and safety. And then Marvin just comes in and says, my shoulder hurts and I can't play. Um, and that that was like the reminder that like it doesn't matter how far we get into his career. We're always going to have this question. And, uh, you know, and that's fair or not. I, I don't know. Um, you know, he's only played, what, 25, 26 games a season. Um, and that's not because of injuries, because he was out of the rotation and wasn't part of the plan. And so I would say that he's still out of the rotation, still isn't part of the plan, but he's playing as a starter right now to make sure that people know that he is actually a ball player, that he can actually step on the court and, and give you something if you were to trade for him. Um, I think that, you know, this is like one long showcase and, you know, he it's not like the Kings have an answer at the at the small forward position if you move Harrison over or at the at the power forward position if if you just take Marvin out of the lineup. Um, the only thing I would like to see is, it, to be honest with you, is them try Terrence Davis at the small forward again because they did it for like a six game stretch in December. And I thought they were good. And I thought he he was fun and he added an element that this team doesn't have to the starting lineup, and I, I think it mixed things up. Um, and then go with Harrison at the four. It, it hurts you rebounding-wise, but how much? I don't yeah, know. I mean, from, yeah, how much worse can you get? <laughs> yeah, you're talking about, you know, maybe two, three rebounds a game. And it doesn't mean that Marvin Bagley can't play, you know. Yeah. And I think having Marvin Bagley on the court instead of Chemezi Metu, it, he is, Marvin is a better rebounder than Chemezi. If you were to bring Marvin off the bench, that would, you know, kind of help you out as well. Yeah. And you're um, talking about wanting pace as much as possible. I feel like Terrence is a guy that is pushing the pace every single possession. Every um, time. Yeah, I, I think he does a great job of doing that. He's really uh, shy in these last couple games. He had a career high of uh, 30 35. 35 against uh, Detroit. And then ha- follows up with 20, I don't have the exact number, uppers, uh, more than 20 points in the next game against Milwaukee. He also had a couple games earlier in the year, like we've seen it throughout his career, where he has these stretches of five games of really playing well and then kind of cools off. Um, but his minute and minutes and opportunities have kind of fluctuated as well, which could be a part of that. And I think that that's an interesting conversation that can bring us back to Buddy. Um, I know you said on your last pod that you think Terrence, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you said you think Terrence can fill the Buddy role just fine um, if Buddy were to be moved on from, which I think is interesting, like Terrence again, pushes the pace well, which is what's being preached a lot. Um, he still can hit tough shots and I think has a gravity that is lacked by a lot of players on this team um, that, that Buddy supplies. And then I think Terrence does a better job of attacking the rim. So they're a little bit different. But when it comes to Buddy and the potential of him being moved, um, where do, yeah, do you think that there is a healthy scenario where Buddy is on the team moving forward? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, what is healthy? Um, I think that like, if you're going to make a change just to make a change, it's with Buddy Hield. Like, I think that there's a moment where like, it, he's just a lot, he's a lot to, to deal with, you know, his personality. Um, it's fun. It's, you know, he, he's a good guy. Uh, but at the same time, he's so mistake prone and it, at, at, you know, a certain point, like the constant chatter, the con- all of this stuff that Buddy Hills that he brings to the table, um, it does wear on you. Like 
I'm not saying like full on uh, addition by subtraction, but I'm also not saying addition by subtraction. So in the last three games where uh, where Terrence Davis is starting, right? Let's just look at those three games. He's averaging 24.7 points, 3.7 assists, 6.3 rebounds, two steals. He's only turned the ball over 1.3 times per game. And I think three of them came in the last game and they were like almost inexcusable turnovers, but you can deal with it. Here's where the one factor that I'll tell you, Brennan, where I think he makes sense. Um, He's averaging 10.7 three-point attempts per game. And he's hitting four of them. He's shooting 37.5%. He's a dude who does not mind hoisting. And this team has moments where they they put guys out there who just shy away from the moment. And Buddy Heald doesn't shy away from the moment. But I'll tell you this. Terrence Davis takes some wild shots, right? He takes some shots where, but I, I almost never feel like they're out of rhythm, like they're out of the flow of the offense. Do they look crazy? Do I sit there and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened? Yes. I see Buddy Heel take shots that that any other player in the league is getting put on the bench for the rest of the game. Yeah. Like Terrence maybe has like one of those a game. He might have one of those a game, but, but at the same time. But they're almost always in a heat check moment where he's already hit like five straight. So he reminds Buddy me so much. But he makes a free throw and then he throws one up. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know that the one against uh, where he shot two two shots against Houston the other night. That to me was uh, like his first shot got him yelled at, and then he just said, "Well, fine, then I'm not going to do anything. Hey, I'm not going to shoot." So I'm going to apologize if the two dogs shots get. In that game. Yeah, I'm going to apologize if the dogs get noisy here. It's it's breakfast time, so they're going to be scurrying around. Um, I'll wrap it up soon here. Yeah, no, it's okay. Either way, I I would just say that, look, I think uh, Terrence Davis reminds me a lot of Bobby Jackson. So if you were a Kings fan in in the 2000s, early 2000s, you watched Bobby Jackson do um, these crazy things where you sat there and went, no, 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 don't shoot it. And then it goes in. And so you forgave him for, for taking bad shots because they went in. That's what I think Terrence does. He reminds me so much of that where you you like look at him like, man, I can't believe you just shot that. But here's my point. If you trade Buddy Heald, I think Terrence Davis steps right in and does exactly what Buddy Heald did. Will he hit 42% from three? I don't know. He's young. It's possible. He's also way younger, way cheaper, and he brings more energy. He attacks rim better. He doesn't want to get into the free throw line where Buddy Heald avoids a free throw line like the plague. And so I just think that he can fill that role right away and you don't take a a step backwards. Yeah, uh, that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, I think that Buddy has been frustrating uh, from a viewership point of view, and I think that we've clearly seen some of the coaching staff and other players around him be frustrated with Buddy as well. I think we've seen Buddy himself be frustrating um, and, and Buddy's obviously not the only guy, but I think that he does somehow stand out as even more so in a, a situation that is frustrating all around somehow. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's um, certainly interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think as you've mentioned and just what makes sense looking at the roster, like HB and Rashawn and Buddy and Bagley are kind of the assets to me that I look at them like, personally if it were me, I'm like, I am holding on to Fox and Halliburton unless there's some 
outlier deal. I understand the whole everybody's available, and that's kind of how I take that, um, just from my own translation when I read those reports. But those are your top end talents, and how can we complement those guys? And um, yeah, the previously forementioned guys to me are the potential trade assets that you would include to try and make a better fit happen around the star two than we've seen. And you have to throw in some first round picks if you're looking to make some improvements. And that's the route that I would like to see them go. Um, we've heard Simmons and Sabonis talked about um, a lot. I, I believe it was Sam Amick saying Simmons is first. Sabonis would be right after. If it's not those two, where do you think, in your mind, where could the Kings look after? I think you mentioned Jeremy Grant on 1320. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Grant has been mentioned, but, you know, again, the Kings are mentioned with every single player that's available. I think that's partially by design, and then it took on a life of its own. So when you want to be mentioned and a bunch of trades to make it, you know, seem like you are kicking the tires and you are being aggressive and you are out there actually trying to make deals, which, again, they are. I'm not saying that, but the fact that you're mentioned every time, um, I think that was like the initial idea and now it's every time a player is available um either an agent or a team throws it out there that well the kings are are interested as well and there's just a a huge difference between being interested and actually being involved in a trade discussion Um, i love i love your highlight on the king's beat of leverage yeah yeah for leverage yeah, I think there's a lot of times where the Kings are used for leverage. And, and I mean, that's unfortunate, but, um, you know, I think what we saw, it, I don't even think that they were fully leveraged in the Kyle Kuzma uh, Montrez Herald trade. I don't think that they were fully leveraged, but I think what happened there was the team swooped in and LeBron took a phone call from his buddy Russ and, and like worked to, to get him in the door. Um, good for LeBron. You blew that one. Um, and like, yes, Buddy Hield would be a better player for the Los Angeles Lakers than what we're seeing with Russell Westbrook. There's just no question. The bad shots that Buddy Hield, the Buddy Hield takes, they they pale in comparison to what we've seen from from Russ West. It, it's look not even what like, Malik Monk is doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look what Monk. But you have other players on that roster that can shoot it, and they just don't get the opportunity because you got some like craziness going on. Um, I, and you know, like again with buddy, I, I think it's just one of those deals where like he needs a, a different place to play. And that also that trade, it kind of set what his value might be out there. Like, I think I was surprised when it was Kuzma and, and Harold. Um, but I think that that also showed the league that like, you're not just getting buddy for free. I mean, the Kings had a, a deal that that made sense for them and was actually bringing back two very solid players. And, and you think that's more value setting rather than that looked at as an outlier because the Lakers were in a desperate situation? Oh, no, it's possible. I mean, it's possible that, that the Lakers were in a desperate situation. But, you know, I think a lot of teams would be like to be in a desperate situation where they were able to go out and just grab Russell Westbrook. Um, maybe not now. Uh, but you know, even like this summer that it might've been an option where you looked at and said, man, I, you know, would I mind having Russell Westbrook? Could he do things? Could he still plays with force? He still makes the playoffs a lot of the time. You know, he's a a guy who's a walking triple double. Um, I wouldn't take him on the Kings at all. I mean, that's, that's not what I'm proposing here at all, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, at this point, he's probably one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Russ doesn't want to deal with you again either, James. Yeah, it, it's like <laughs> it's John Wall and then Russell Westbrook and then maybe Tobias Harris. Uh, I got the Corgi running around. She's having a good time because breakfast is almost ready. Uh, All right, last one no, for you. You're fine. <laughs> Monty didn't spend the MLE these last two off seasons. Am I reading into it too much that he's really placing value in having money this off season? Because you pointed out to me a while ago, actually, and then I looked into it recently um, with the cap spike and their um, cap situation. They can make, I think, nearly thirty million. It's upwards of twenty million in cap space this year. Do you think that Monty is placing a lot of value in having that cap space this off season? Um, yes and no. I think he's made it so he can make the move now that he would want to do during the summer because I think he understands as well as everyone else who's ever been a general manager in Sacramento uh, that bringing in a free agent is so incredibly difficult, like a big name free agent. You can bring in a free agent, but you can't bring in the creme de la creme. You know, you can go out and you can get an aging Rondo, or you can get a Marco Bellinelli. Uh, I thought of like Kyle Anderson, Joe Ingles, like. Yeah, but again, are are Kyle and okay? So, are those game changers, or are those no, more of the same? But are they if more you of the trade same for say you trade for like a Sabonis and you send out Barnes? All of a sudden, you need to balance the roster. You need to get another wing. They're not game changers. It would be like it to me. It's like what um, Chicago did, like a Caruso and um Lonzo Ball like those guys make a big difference and then they made the trade for Vucevic and then they also sign and trade for DeRozan I'm grasping at straws trying to find I, an optimism I, here <laughs> I could I could see something there like where um yeah I, I, where you might have some money uh moving forward but I also think that that's why we're seeing the Kings be so aggressive right um as of right now like Tristan Thompson has no value to the Kings. And and to be honest with you, I don't know if he'll play again for the Kings. Um, if he's here after February 10th uh, and the Kings haven't had just a complete um, meltdown at their center position, and even if they do, like you got Nemeas Keita that looks like he could actually feel some some void there. Sean, um, so you forgetting all those Portugal listens on this episode. There you go. <laughs> Portugal, Portugal stand up. That's the clip uh, right here. <laughs> yeah, there it is. No, but, you know, like, I, I don't see where Tristan Thompson fits moving forward. Like, Damian Jones has played too well, and Harrison, I mean, uh, Rashawn Holmes is coming back, and uh, Alex Len still gives you the big man that you need, you know, the shot-blocking big that you need. That's, oh, we're already at three centers, and Marvin Bagley can play the five. And so, again, like, if he's not moved at the deadline uh, as part of a much bigger package, um, then I easily could see him being bought out right at, right after the deadline and letting him go find somewhere else to play, and you get a little bit of a discount on the back end on that. Um, so those are things that like I think the Kings are looking at moving forward. There's there's a lot of moving pieces here, but when you have Buddy Hill at twenty million, twenty two million bucks, you got Harrison Barnes at eighteen million or twenty million. You have all of these contracts that are movable that you can package up that equal 30,000 or equal 50,000. I mean, the fact that the Kings could come together with a package to which, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, Simmons and Tobias Harris are a combined like $72 million. 
the Kings can can match salary. They can. They can they can piece together a deal to match salary. There's not many teams that can do that. There's not. And, and I think that while we say that, you know, um, that Monty has, you know, remained uh, flexible and has been able to, you know, all these things, I, I think the biggest thing is, like, these things do go away, right? Like, Harrison Barnes could walk as a free agent, free agent after next season if he's here still. Um, but Tristan Thompson's deal goes away. Marvin Bagley's deal goes away. And so if you look at those as trade chips more than you do as players, uh, and we get away from the whole, you know, they are people, but we just look at them as like movable pieces, almost like you would with 2K or or the trade machine. Um, they have more value now than they will in the coming in, in the coming days, you know, once we get past the season, once we get past the trade deadline. Um, because you're not going to have those pieces to move. Again, if you can package Tristan Thompson and, and Marvin Bagley and throw in a first round pick and pick up a, um, those two combined make, I think it's 21, 22 million. You can go up, to, uh, up to 125% of the trade you can go up to. So, so now you're looking at a 24, $25 million player, right? If you can package those two with the first round pick and bring back a player that is worth like twenty to twenty five million, Jeremy and I'm not Hansen saying that, yeah, I'm not saying that that deal is perfect and it's out there, but let's say you do something like that, what you just said, Grant, and you give up a first round pick and you you take back a really good young player, and then two basically like just ten million dollar chips is all you're trading in that deal. Because that's that's how they're viewed. That's how they should be viewed by the Kings. And then you haven't even adjusted your core. You haven't even like destroyed your your main core. So again, you can add Harrison Barnes and make it a forty million dollar deal. You can add Buddy Hield. You can make it a forty five million dollar deal or a fifty million dollar deal. The Kings have all of these pieces that can move around uh, that are expiring. Even you know the Mo Harklesses of the world, the Alex Lens of the world, who are four and a half, four million dollar deals. Um, you know, those pieces are movable because they're not that much money to take on for next season. And so I think the Kings are are in a position where they don't have to it doesn't have to be Simmons or Sabonis or Bust. Um, they can actually do other things that make sense uh like moving forward for their team. Yeah, and hopefully we see something. It seems like uh we have to, especially with yeah, everything that's gone on this season and like you're saying, having a team that has understandably higher expectation than years past and still underperforming to the same extent, if not worse. Um, so Sacramento is being floated around a whole lot this trade deadline. Um, it'd be amazing to see some sort of change. I know just as covering it, man, it'd be great to not have to ask about rebounding, pushing the pace and live ball turnovers. Um, so, yes, I uh, really appreciate you coming on james taking over an hour out of your busy day during this time of year um can't say thanks enough for all the help you've been with me in this transition and making it easier for me and obviously everybody knows the great work you do uh anybody that somehow unaware which may be one person that happens like a high school friend of mine or something that's all i can think of uh espn 1320 and then all the work that you do at the king's beat as well can't speak highly of it enough um i appreciate you coming on man Hey man, anytime. And I did look it up. The Kings were 22 and 26 at the same point last year with a roster that wasn't nearly as good. That. Yeah. And, and yeah. in a Western Conference that wasn't 
I mean, this Western Conference is worse. Yeah. I mean, oh, so crazy. Can I get <laughs> one more thing from you, actually? Yeah. Do you think that there's a world where a new head coach comes in next year and Alvin Gentry is still on the staff? We've heard the reporting of, you know, there's if Gentry meets X, Y, and Z, he could remain the guy into next year. Do you think there's a world where Gentry remains on the staff under a new guy? Um, no, I think Alvin Gentry is respected around the league. And if that were the situation that he would find himself in, uh, that he would just go and and find a job with one of his friends around the league. Okay. Um, I know that he was offered a job on Doc Rivers' staff uh, to be a lead assistant with Doc Rivers before um, he took the Kings job. I could see that being potential. Uh, you know, Dave Yeager's there right now, but Dave's been out with uh, with uh, a cancer issue. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I just think that Alvin Gentry is a name that if he wants to continue to coach at, what is he, 66, 67, if he wants to continue to coach, um, he's going to have better options than taking a step back for a team like the Kings. Um, and, and I think that's a bummer because I, I do think he's a really, really high level, uh, like number one assistant. Um, and you know, he's proven in the past that he's a solid, uh, head coach as well, but yeah, that would be a tough one, man. Like I, yeah, he wanted a, he wanted a three-year deal when Luke was let go to be the head coach of the Kings. And that didn't happen. They did put incentives in that if he does certain things that he could be the head coach next year. Um, we don't know what those incentives are, but I think it's based around, um, you know, wins and play in or playoffs and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, he's going to have better options, to be honest with you. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I wanted to make sure I got that last one in there. Almost forgot. So thank you again, James. Anybody unaware, the Kings beat. Definitely go subscribe and check that out. Um, do you have a happy hour planned yet? you have a date for a happy hour next? We're looking, we're looking at uh, like February 1st or February 3rd, but the trade deadline could get in the way. And mm. so if the Kings make something substantial before then, it would make that easier. If they have not done anything until then, we might have to push it back until after the February 10th date just because um, it, it's a little hectic that week. And I don't want to have to be halfway through a happy hour and see something shake out and then got to go chase. Uh, those things happen. But if you guys haven't, the happy hours are a blast. We're having a great time. Sean and I tell crazy stories. Uh, last time we had Sam Amick on. Time before that, we had uh, Damian Barling on um, as as just a third to tell crazy stories. And I think we'll we'll bring in another big guest this time around as well. There we go. And that's premium subscribers only. Definitely, yep. everybody go check out the Kings Beat and take a look at the Kings Herald as well for any sort of written content that's going to be. Um, updated often from all the great group of people there as well, myself included. Take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast, which is up on YouTube now, by the way, as well, um, I keep forgetting to mention this for the audio listeners. James's Kings Beat is up on YouTube as well. So check that out and subscribe there. To both Give thumbs those. up. Give thumbs, thumbs up. Does more than people realize. And uh, if you enjoyed this pod, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days. 